Welcome to the Mycelium Network Podcast, a podcast all about early stage web developers and the mentors and teachers that helped them along the way. Hey, Matt, welcome to the Mycelium Network Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here. It's good to see you again after all these years. Yeah, for sure. It's been too long. It's been too long. I've been, uh, I don't know if I've subconsciously been using these podcasts to catch up with some people that I haven't talked to with in quite some time. Because <laughs> uh, I did the same with Ryan Johnson that I've also worked with. And he's even returned to Mozilla after mm -hmm. leaving for a while. And we just never caught up. And I thought like, let me get him on the podcast. And at least we can have a chat. <laughs> so, you know, life has a way of, of, filling up filling up space once uh, people go different directions and so i i understand it after these three years post mozilla so yeah yeah no it's it, it's probably like they say with um with how you have to put time limits on the work you do because if you don't, if you give it too much time you'll find things to fill up the time so if you make your deadlines a little tighter you'll end up doing the same amount of work in a shorter space of time something like that, like work will always fill up the amount of time you give it. <laughs> Definitely a lesson I've, I've learned uh, quite, <laughs> quite deeply over the last three years and four, four jobs, <laughs> four jobs in three years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's something we'll, we'll touch on during the conversation. So, um, I've hinted at the fact that we know each other for quite some time and that we've potentially worked together in the past. Um, but before I, I don't want to tell your story. Um, I'd love for you to just like, tell us who's Matt Brand, like what gets you up in the morning? What gets me up in the morning? Uh, s s well, currently it's snow covered mountains and, and copious amounts of skiing. Um, <laughs> oh, lovely. Uh, what gets me up in the morning? What gets me going? Um, you know, we might have to like rewind a couple of years and, and we'll play with this during our conversation. And you can help me. I've never processed this fully, by the way. And so it'll maybe come off a bit raw. And so you as a friend, uh, I, I feel I feel comfortable sharing this and you'll help pull out pieces that, that are maybe interesting threads. But, um, you know, post like Mozilla, Mozilla, nine years of my life, um, like on the nose. I started January 31st, 2011. And uh, my last day at work was January 31st, um, almost three years ago. And uh, wow, built up just incredible relationships, like globally dispersed teams, individuals, yourself. Uh, like Mozilla is this cornucopia, a bit of an ivory tower. And when I say ivory tower, it's like academia. Like it's very academic in the sense that there are these academic ideals. Um, there's almost an unlimited amount of money, except when layoffs occur at Mozilla, but almost an unlimited amount of money. Um, to, to go off and, and do things with and see what happens and, and no pressure to to actually create a product that that brings revenue when I was there, I should say. Um, and so it, it was a, a safe space, an enlightening space, a, a group of individuals that were were motivated, who were uh, curious, who I don't want to say driven, I hate that word driven. Um, it's kind of like people leverage, we're going to leverage uh, blah, 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 right? Um, 
But but a group of people who have been enabled to to seek out interesting ideas and and follow threads to their um, to to their logical ends, um, and and not necessarily a group of people who are all on the same spectrum of like beliefs and ideals and values and upbringing, right? That it was this broad spectrum, uh, of like this diverse spectrum of, of, of people that were able to come together, both as paid contributors, people who are on the payroll with Mozilla, but also the um, open source end of things. And so when that ended, right, I was laid off along with the team I was leading. I was an engineering manager. Uh, what, what the heck? See, I've gone through so many titles over the last four years. I've forgotten the names of titles. I've forgotten the names of the people I've worked with. Um, it's, it's hard to build relationships when you're cycling through jobs. Um, yeah, I think we were doing, um, I don't even remember what, we, what was the title? I'd have to look at my resume at this point. Um, but we were, we were doing was it around the lockwise uh, times. No, it wasn't around lockwise and, and password manager. It was, um, we were working on Firefox directly. I'm not sure why this is skipping my brain. I've been doing a lot of interviews, like job interviews. And so I have like a, my, my spiel, mm-hmm. my story down pretty, pretty well. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, right. I'm, I'm a professional interviewer at this point. Um, but working directly on Firefox in terms of uh, ensuring there weren't ad- adverse impacts uh, to to the browser itself, the application, the software, from third-party applications like accessibility software, uh, antivirus is a big one, um, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of things that poke holes through um, other applications, and so I was leading a group that was was focusing on how do, how do we how do we approach that. Um, but post Mozilla. Um, and this is getting back around to you, like what gets me up in the morning and what keeps me going. I really spent some time thinking about what do I want to do? Do I even want to stay in tech? And that was a, a difficult question to answer where Mozilla did a layoff in, was it 2019? January 31st, 2019. Is that right? Am I doing the math right? The math? Tr- I, think it was- I think it was 2020, wasn't it? 2020. 2020. Was it 2019 20- and 2020? No, it's... 20, well, we do a, they did a lot of layoffs, but it was 2020. Is that right? Yeah. I think I'm mathing that right now. <laughs> it's yeah, a blur. I think that's but, right. Like we did a layoff in directly in, in into a global pandemic, right? There's a pandemic, like layoffs, the, the, uh, the global economy, like issues. And for listeners who aren't U.S. or based out of the United States, like we've got a dilemma where our health care is tied to employment. Otherwise, it's very expensive out of pocket to, to pay for. Um, and I have a household myself, a partner and a, a child who's nine. And so ha- being employed is really important during a, a time where there's a pandemic, where there are unknown health impacts. Um, and I fought, I fought hard to find work. Um, I've lost count. I need to go probably look at the spreadsheet. I've done over 100 interviews with companies like multiple interviews where you cycle into a company and get a couple interviews deep um and the pandemic pandemic hit and i had three three job offers and they were all rescinded because of concerns about the economy and the economics of being able to support that position so i had job offers rescinded directly after mozilla um 
And I ended up kind of taking what I could get, which was working for a, a company that makes software for law firms, lawyers. Uh, it was a little bit yawn, but um, interesting in that C-sharp, I've never worked with Windows. I'd never had a, a Windows laptop. Um, and so worked with Windows as an SDET, a, uh, kind of a senior engineer, staff engineer, SDET with a team of very junior engineers. And so it kind of interested me because of one that the, the, the tech stack I'd never worked with, but also mentoring and working with more junior engineers. Um, but I did a lot of soul searching of like, do I actually want to stay in tech? Um, and yeah, I live in a mountain town. It's, it's a bit expensive to live here. Um, there's not a lot of mobility in this town. Um, there's a lot of uh, service industry jobs, like jobs that support the tourist industry here. And of course, that dried up a bit during the initial days of the pandemic. Uh, but I stuck it out uh, for about eight months with this company and really didn't have a good working relationship with the, the director, my, my manager who I was working with. And we really struggled to work with one another. I ended up getting let go. Um, and it was kind of like a light, a, a soft layoff that the, the whole, the team I was on was let go all at once. <laughs> um, and I had one of those moments of like, do I want to stay in tech? Like I, I fought hard to get this job. I worked at it for eight months. I built relationships. I, I delivered solutions that, uh, I was trying to deliver for the team. I elevated the group I was on, helped some very junior engineers, uh, who were struggling, um, get a foothold on the team and feel successful. Um, and, and then was let go. And so I took eight months off. Uh, it wasn't like I was going to take eight months off. It's like, I need a break. It's time to hit reset, um, and on my life, um, and my relationship, both with my partner and my child at that time in the United States as well. And in our community, at least in, in Colorado, uh, schools had, had, uh, gone fully remote. Uh, because of COVID, where the schools closed. And so we had a, uh, um, boy, we had a seven-year-old at the time. So yeah, seven-year-old at the time. He was now nine. But a seven-year-old who was struggling uh, to, to do remote schooling. And so I took time off and was his teacher, essentially. I, I, I sat with him and spent time with our kid. And I did my own healing over those eight months. And, and when I got to the kind of the end, it wasn't that it's like, hey, the money ran out. We had money. It's like financially, we, we live a pretty simple life so that we, we can have choices. It's, it's always been about options and choices. And so financially, we were stable. We weren't going to go on big, big holiday trips anytime soon or you know, buy expensive vehicles or whatever you do with, with money. I think I even like dialed down the, our internet. So we were paying less on internet and had lower, lower bandwidth, but like you just tighten things up uh, so that we, we could draw it out. But at the end of like the time, I started getting intellectually bored and, and I, I, I thought about leaving tech. I thought about going into forestry. There's the United States Forest Service. Uh, what do you think of people hiking on trails, carrying shovels and doing trail work and like mm. talking to people um, and, and helping people go, hey, you should camp over here, not there. Uh, there's a beautiful view. If you go a little yeah, bit further, there's yeah. a nice view and there's a spring. You can fill up your water bottles. And, oh, this is, let me tell you about the natural history of this area and the people who used to live here, the generations of people who've cycled through this area and, and talk about the geology. And like, 
that's a past life. I, I did do that in a past life. And I thought about going back to that. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But in the end, I decided to go back into the tech. And I played with a couple ideas. And this was an interesting time for me in that it was very exploratory. It felt very empowering to decide, what do I want to do? Like, forget the money, forget mm. climbing job ladders that you're supposed to be climbing these hierarchies, these ladders. Um, forget survival. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> there's enough money. The money's, <laughs> there's always enough money. <laughs> there's always enough money. And if you kind of go, well, I'll make this work. But what do I really want? And I didn't want to work with a toxic team like I had with the, with the job that uh, post the first post Mozilla job. And I thought, do I want to go back into management? Uh, I enjoy people leadership. Um, I enjoy, I say people leadership, but I enjoy enabling and elevating those around me and creating spaces for them to do the rest work. Um, that's a full-time job. It's not like a technical lead. It's like you're focused on making sure the people around you are, are living their best lives. Did I want to go back into that? Um, did I want to go do something safe? Did I want to go back into test engineering and just be a, a, like a simpleton, uh, IC, you know, individual contributor, uh, which I, I can do in my sleep. I can do test, you know, test engineering in my sleep. Um, and then I started to play with like the, the a third area, which is um, when, when I was at Mozilla, this was always interesting to me, but I, I didn't. I couldn't find a pathway into it and it was still a bit young and that was site reliability engineering. So SREs It's something that always interested yeah, me, yeah. but I'm not a DevOps person. Like I've done DevOps, I've been on platform teams, but it's not like my strength. It's not my superpower. Um, and I thought, well, what if I SRE, that sounds inter interesting. I don't know how to get there. Like my resume doesn't speak to that. <laughs> how do I get there? Um, and so I interviewed with a lot of places. Um, I, I looked for social good. I wanted something that felt good again. I wanted to feel good about the work I was doing and ended up with, I want to say like three or four job offers. And, and it became this dilemma because we were, there were job offers in all the, the, the directions I thought would be interesting to, to follow. And I had to like decide. Um, I, I had to like put a foot down and go, okay, this is what I'm going to commit to. And I found a, comp a company that, a startup, that liked what I could do as a, a, a test, test engineer, test engineering lead, test engineering manager, like that side. And instead of like offering me a, the position they had for, for a test engineering manager, like a test lead, they said, hey, we need an SRE. We've never had an SRE. We think you could do it. Um, will help you along this journey. Would you like to do it? This was not like okay. a top company in that they were doing something. It was like social, like social good. <laughs> um, it was a startup where people were hoping to retire early with like big, you know, lump sums in their banks. Um, but the team seemed interest, like interested in helping me on that path. And so I set aside the other job offers that were working for companies that felt good. Things like education. There was an education company that was doing online education software and networking with uh, professors and to, to build curricula. That, it looked amazing. And I had a really hard time putting that one aside, but I did. And so I took a job as an SRE, not knowing what I was doing. Um, and thought, I, I, I could do this for a year. I'll do this for one year. 
this is not like a passion company. This is not a company I'm like passionate about the yeah, mission. Yeah. I mean, essentially we're sending like, I don't want to call it spam, spam, but it was like emails, like email tracking. Like, hey, we're going to track emails that we send out to make sure employees click on it and, and read the thing we sent them. <laughs> not a passion project, but a good, but but nonetheless, a very good group of people that were very technically astute. And that's maybe something that's interesting to put into this as well, is that working with people who challenge you, who are make you feel a little bit like an imposter, but are also welcoming is really important. And I think like coming out of Mozilla, I felt that at Mozilla, like I was allowed to be the the imposter. Mm-hmm, I could learn. Mm-hmm, I could mm-hmm. always learn. And the first job out of Mozilla, I was punished for not not being the master. I had to be the gotcha. know-it-all. And I was punished for asking questions because I didn't know. I didn't want to pretend, pretend I knew. And so I found a company that's like, hey, it's okay. We know you don't know. <laughs> Just ask a lot of questions. Yeah, yeah. And so I worked there for about a year. Actually, I worked there for 13 months, I should say. I worked there for 13 months and um, my director came to me and said, hey, it's time you built out this program, this SRE program. We're not having incidents every like couple times a week where people are like losing sleep and I'm going to stay up late or work over the weekends. Mm-hmm. You've created a, a framework um, around kind of operational excellence. That's it's not perfect, mm-hmm. but nothing's perfect, yeah. right? It's 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 shaping and molding and evolving as we, as we learn what the need mm-hmm, is, mm-hmm. but you've gotten it about as far as we think you can get it. And now we need a real, we need a real DevOps person. We need an SRE with DevOps skills. <laughs> and so, um, I did my, I did my time there and I lasted a, a 13 months. I, I planned to stay there for a year and I left that position going. Now what I want to do now, I want to do the passion work. I want to do work with, and I say passion work, it's not that it's, I think like Mozilla at times it was unsustainable. Like I was so engaged with the work and the community that I was working too many hours. I, like there was too much identity uh, wrapped gotcha. around myself as a, a Mozilla, Mozillian, I should mm-hmm, say, right? Mm-hmm. That there's a lot of identity that that occurs with, with where we work, um, the products that we're part of, the the missions, the mission statements, um, and, and the people we're doing the work with. Like I have a really strong bond with you that is probably unapproachably it's, it's not it's not breakable because of our relationship over the years and the work and and, and the that we've shared and the kind of the inner workings of, of why we we're doing that work right and so the the sense of self is really sometimes hard to disambiguate from the work you're doing um and so i approached the passion work again because i want to work with people who care about what they're doing <laughs> It's not like care about like, hey, it's a paycheck. Paychecks are important, by the way. Like it's important to get paid. Of course. But people who are like, I'm doing something to 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 move humanity forward. And I put out a bit of a broad net and had a couple of good job interviews with companies and ended up where I'm at, where I was approached by this group because of um, my professional network. Someone let them know that I was job mm-hmm. hunting and was brought in as an operational readiness engineer, which I'm still defining. Okay. By the way. I've been there for six months as of, well, as of probably tomorrow, today, <laughs> six, about six nice. months uh, as of probably end of this month um, as an operational readiness engineer. And it's a mixture of uh, the test engineering work that I've done, uh, engineering management work that I've done 
in the SRE work is this this hodgepodge, this need in terms of where this the group I'm with is at in terms of needing operational excellence and defining what that looks like. And in, in a, I'm going to really like screw, cock this up in my, like my language, but it's, it's a, a very Mozilla ish kind of group. Okay. It's, it's very, there's no real hard hier, hierarchy, which is sometimes good, but also sometimes bad, but that's part of the culture. There's the, some cultural pieces where you, I've worked at companies that were very command control in the last three years that were like, you do this. You're like, I will do what you tell me to do, even though I think it's bonkers or I, I, I see a different path that you don't want to discuss, but I will do the thing you told me to do because it's command control. And that works for some people. That really does work for some people where it's nice to know the the, the path forward and what success looks like yeah. and that it's defined mm -hmm. for you. And when you get into companies like Mozilla or the place I'm currently with, where it's very nebulous that success, it's hard to define success. It's hard to define what the next steps are. Like, hey, we have this like these goalposts that are generally in this direction. You know, this is like the North Star. This is the general direction we're going. But to get there, we don't know. And we're not going to tell you what it looks like because we hired you because you're going to figure that out. Not that you know. You don't know, but you will figure, figure it out. out yeah. and you will do it collaboratively. And to do that collaboratively is really difficult. For, for some people, um, myself included. I think it's difficult for all of us because sometimes you're like, it's just, we have too many cooks in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. Let's just get this thing <laughs> in the oven and see what happens. Uh, <laughs> that's a good analogy. <laughs> but um, I think, you know, so like the, the loop back to your original question about 20 minutes ago, um, <laughs> what gets me up in the morning is, 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 is curiosity. It's, it's being, it's, there's a drive around curiosity in life and that intellectually um, I find I get bored. Now I do need to take breaks. <laughs> I need to go shut, shut off. Mm -hmm. now and then. Yep. But um, there's an intellectual curiosity and wanting to couple that with doing that with people who challenge me that are better than I am in, in their areas. And so that we, 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 we feel that we feel the gaps. Um, we, we fill, we, we identify the blind spots for each other. We do that collaboratively in a, in a very safe space and finding those safe spaces, I'll tell you is, is, is difficult. And even like trusting in them. I was thinking about this this morning that I've been with this group for six months now, and I still carry the baggage from that first post Mozilla job. That was very, it was a very toxic, unsafe environment. And I still carry that baggage. And I, I'm like, I'm almost 45 years old. I'm carrying this BS this baggage, <laughs> this bullshit from you know somebody that I didn't respect I didn't even respect this person I'm like this person was not someone you would really respect you're like you're really bad at what you what you do as a people lead um, and I still carry that um, and so finding safe spaces that we can I don't know that we can evolve emerge in, into some of the best versions of ourselves while, while doing it with the people around us like those are really Kind of sacred special places to 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 protect and, and not take for um take for granted yeah that's for sure yeah thank you so much that was, that long, was answer, long answer no that was really good um <laughs> there's a lot of stuff we can touch on there um i think one of the things uh that you mentioned a couple of times and um that's also on your linkedin bio it states that you're a champion environments that in gender inclusiveness, trust, openness, and creativity. And clearly that is 
what you you don't you didn't just put that on your LinkedIn bio to sound cool. Um, from everything you said, that is obviously something you believe in. Why do you think? And I think it's a problem, right? Um, I've I've spoken to so many people over the last six seven months, um, and heard some really disturbing stories about some of the things that happened to people that I always. I've heard about before, but I never believed it. I always thought it was like, you know, urban myths types of things. And like, this could, this could never be true. But then to hear somebody like vocalize it was, was, yeah, it, it hits you. So obviously that's not what we want. Um, I think the tech industry is oftentimes, um, made an example of of an industry that's particularly bad at creating an inclusive welcoming space and maybe it's deserving maybe it's not maybe it's it's just because tech is so in the public these days that it's easy to make an example of but be that as it may i have experienced some of this and you've clearly experienced some of this so when you when you think about the things like that i've just mentioned like creating like this environment of inclusiveness trust openness and creativity like what what do you think is needed um who are the people that's the role players here how do we how do we build these environments how do we build these environments um i don't know (laughs) (laughs) i think you you know when you see it and you experience it um and and there there's i don't know let me let me talk around this, and then I'll, yeah, I'll figure yeah, out something. Yeah. But you know, I don't, th- I don't think that there's, uh, you know, there's, th- there's certain like rules necessarily to, to, to follow. Um, it's how do I think about this? And I, this last round six months ago, seven months ago, when I started interviewing again to look for the next job hop. Um, I ideated on, I spent a lot of time thinking about that and ideating of like, I do not want to end up with a group of people I don't trust again, that who also don't trust me. Um, and, and how do you find that? And I'll maybe start with this, like the finding piece, because to me, some of the finding pieces that was leading with who I am. So my LinkedIn bio, I spent an obsessive amount of time wordsmithing that. Let me, let me tell you, like in the last three years, like I've wordsmithed my, my bio, my the job descriptions uh, in LinkedIn, my, my resume. And, and, and yeah, I feather my resume. I, I have a whole strategy about how you do interviews and you do them at scale when you're looking for work. Okay. And like how to do it in a sustainable way, how to do it in a sustainable way. Because I, I, I became like, a, again, professional interviewer yeah, where I was yeah. interviewing with dozens and dozens of companies because because I, ne- I needed work. I needed a job, yeah. period. And, and how do you do that in a sustainable way? Uh, but that's not the question here. We'll definitely get so to dig into that. There, there's a part of this that leading, yes, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, an older white male uh, with, who's college educated, who, um, who's been able to wordsmith his resume. So it tells, it tells a nice kind of impressive story you know, I had my own business. I worked for IBM. I had my own business while I was in college, right? And I hired I hired people, students while I was in college so we could learn. I worked for IBM. I went to Mozilla, right? Like, I've got these, like, lovely stories. And, and they are genuine. Like, I, I don't want to say that they're not 
They're, they're just a story. They are very genuine. But telling the story of who you are not only is important for yourself because it helps remind you of who you are, what your dreams are, the direction you want to go in both professionally. Like, what's the professional work you want to be doing? That's a hard question to answer. Still is for me today of like, I don't know what I don't know. Like, I, I don't know what I don't know. How, how do I say that I want to do those things I don't know? Right? Like, how do you tell that story? But how do you tell the story of like the type of people you want to be surrounded by? And so I, I view my LinkedIn profile uh, and my resume and the way that I speak in interviews as a filter that if you don't like me for me, I'm going to piss you off or like, I'm going to make you feel very uncomfortable in an interview and you're going, Oh, Matt's not the one mm. Matt, we don't want Matt on this team. Um, and, and so I, I view a lot of the work I do up front as a filter. Like I don't even want to spend, waste my time. And that sounds harsh because we do need to move into spaces where we are supportive and we are moving the conversation of inclusivity forward but we also need to do it in a space that sustains us that's safe that doesn't do damage to ourselves that we can do it's not a sprint it's not a marathon this is you know this is a long a long haul thing we have to commit to and if you're in a place that's toxic it's going to tear it's going to tear down your self-worth and so i do a lot of filtering up front and I do that in interviews with the language I use. Like I'm married, I have a wife. Their, their pronouns are she, her, she, and you know her. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I refer to my wife as my partner. Mm -hmm. That's a filter. And people like go, oh, that's woke. Like, well, whatever. It, it is a filter because if it sets you off, I probably don't want to work for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. And so I use, I use language in a strategic way of like, this is who I am. This is what you're getting. Mm -hmm. and I found that there are times where um, I remember, let's see, a company that does like work with um, uh, renewable energies um, wanted to hire me to lead a team. And they brought in a whole new leadership team. They're replacing the leadership team. <laughs> and so I would have been one of the new people but a new leader replacing the leadership team. And it was very clear that like this one leader who was struggling is like, I'm trying to build my, my team around me. That's going to be the power team. And I like the language you're using Matt. And cause I, 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 that inclusivity, but when I went and interviewed, did interview panels with the rest of the company, I'm like, Oh my God, like this is a, I am going to, this is set up for failure. This will not succeed because the, the company is not behind this. They haven't created the space for this. And so I, I will struggle and in the end likely fail because nobody wants this except for this one, one guy who's yeah. like the SVP who's like leading this whole org, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, so th there's a piece of like doing, doing an initial filter. Um, and not sub even subjecting yourself. And I, I say that f for anybody. I mean, yes, I'm a white male, privileged, ha have an impressive resume and, and can tell good stories about what I've done uh, with teams, um, both individually for myself, but the teams I've led. And so making sure you're set up for success is really important. And it doesn't feel good, by the way. Like the interviews don't feel good. Rejection doesn't feel good. Yep. Never feels good. Um, I've done again over a couple, over a hundred interviews in the last three years, and rejection never gets easier for some reason. Even though I'm like, I didn't want you anyways, <laughs> but, but it doesn't feel good. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, <laughs> in terms of like inclusivity, like there's a piece where um, <sighs> taking risks, like I, I could tell you the first company out of outside of Mozilla when I left Mozilla, I I forgot I wasn't at Mozilla. I'm like, I'm just me. You get me. You hired me. You picked me. This is why I'm here. You picked me. I'm going to be me. And uh, I wasn't enough or I was maybe too much for them, which is why I, I, I failed with that group. But I worked really closely with these junior engineers and um, I want to be really cautious about not oversharing some of their stories, but was able to kind of create a safe space for them, for them to, to, to prosper. And I took all the garbage from leadership so that they didn't have to experience it and could like naturally learn both the, like creating a space so that they could learn yeah. that they could fail in. Right. Yeah. Like how do we, we how do we fail? Mm -hmm. Failure is important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Failure is always an option in my mind. Yeah. Um, now, Companies that do it well, boy, um, it, it takes leadership. It's not a bottom-up thing. I mean, some, I, I love the notion of it's bottom-up, um, but it doesn't. It, it's not sustainable in yeah, the long run. Yeah. It burns people out mm -hmm. uh, unless it's unless it's something that's understood by by the company and. Companies can look at this from a business perspective, like coming out of Mozilla, Mozilla, not business oriented. I've gone into the world where it's very much business oriented. It's about the bottom line. Like we got to keep the lights on. Mm -hmm. We got to keep our revenue streams coming in. Yep. Or we have to, right. We have to, we have competitors. We have to make sure we don't lose customers to competitors. Like it's, it's, it's a little bit of a slightly different conversation that I've gotten involved in over the last couple of years. And how do you, how do you make space within a company of like, hey, there's this conversation around inclusivity that we, we need to to approach. And how do we approach this from, from a holistic perspective of, that also like feeds the business of like, hey, there's a reason why we bring in people who think differently than us because they represent a broader market uh, globally, different users, different needs. Um, I know, like, I really care about accessibility, like an accessible web, accessible products. Yes. And I did a lot of accessibility work at Mozilla. And I remember, like, post-Mozilla, I came out and I said, hey, this isn't accessible. Like, the, I think it was, like, the font and the, uh, and the contrast ratios were off. Then I said, hey, I'm having trouble reading this. I'm, like, in my 40s. I'm having trouble reading this. And I can tell you, here's, here is the, the body of... Of, of knowledge, the academic body of, of knowledge that says, hey, like, this is wrong. We should fix this. And the only thing leadership heard was like, oh, Matt, um, that sounds like an eight. You got to be careful that like, you could get in trouble with HR. It sounds like you're being ageist. I'm like, it's not ageist. It's not ageist. This is about accessibility. Yeah. It's not ageist. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, come on. Right. And, and so finding a leadership team that understands that when we talk about inclusivity, it's not it's not just, it's not skin color. It's not, you know, ethnic religious backgrounds. It's, it's, it's not, it's not just where we grew up that our, our stories that brought us into tech and the work, 
Uh, it's not the, 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 the histories that we, we carry with us from our generations previous to us that we, we carry with us. It's, it's not just our age. Yeah. Right. It's not just physical abilities or cognitively where we're at. Like it's all these things combined. And I, there's often like a hyper awareness of like, like I look at like what's ha like happened. This has been happening in Twitter. Or sorry, Twitter. Ooh, I didn't mean to use the T word, but <laughs> it's been happening in tech recently yeah. with a certain somebody. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the conversations that have come out of that about like this anti, anti woke movement mm, in tech mm -hmm. about hey, let's just get back to doing business you know business let's make let's make money yeah, right? yeah and it's yeah. like it's not like being woke it's it's like literally like hey this is the world we live in these are the people we support our product support that are part of that we we want to expand that to make sure our products are, are usable useful like the ux makes sense that it just tells the right story so someone makes the right decisions when they're using our software instead of being having to like go into like a document and re read documentation or support or go to Reddit or like, you know, any number of things like it should, that they should be pushed towards the making the right decision. Yeah. yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And that comes from a really broad and, and vibrant and colorful background of people who are supporting and creating the products. And we get, we get stuck in like these microcosms of like, Oh, this is what, this is what inclusivity means and access. You know, it's 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 everything yeah right yep, and that, yep. i think as engineers and maybe i see with leadership teams we, we try to we're worried it, we get scared about boiling the ocean and leadership teams will be like oh we're just going to pick this one like sound bite this one small sound bite mm -hmm. that we think represents what inclusivity means and that's what we're going to focus on and then we're going to either like do a poor job at it because that's not what inclusiveness means it's this like much larger picture you know or as a tech industry uh we're gonna we're gonna attack it you know we're gonna attack this because it's woke you know it's like well no you're, you're attacking the wrong thing here <laughs> um and so cre creating a space that does that is really difficult when you, you look at like the pressures that companies are under in terms of keeping i say keeping the lights on and when i say keeping the lights on of course right that's like a revenue stream that ensures the business is viable. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like how do you, how do you, you have to reckon with keeping a business viable along with creating enough space for people to do their best work. Mm. Now I've been in startups quite a bit the last two years, three years, and there's not a lot of time. There's not a lot of like the runway, the financial runway for a company is, is pretty short. Yep. And there's a lot of pressure that the leadership teams are under from the board of directors and, you know, the, the investment you know banks and the you know venture capitalists to like become mm. right financially viable as quick as possible or, or hit certain milestones yeah and that's a little bit of a different story mm -hmm. i think you can still do it well within those confines like that's a right but but it is it is a little bit of a different story than something like mozilla or i'm currently at or like a company when you're working for a company that has a um a business model and revenue stream that that's somewhat stable that that has a real cadence versus a startup where it's just like go 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 and making sure you're doing self-care yeah you know, burn, burn out mm -hmm. too hard while you're, mm -hmm. you're doing mm -hmm. that is difficult yeah yeah 
I don't think I answered your question. No, 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 you did, you did. Um, it, I, I didn't expect a specific answer. I mean, there isn't a specific answer. Um, we're still figuring all of this out. Um, it's hearing people's perspectives on, you know, what are all the things that plays a role here? And I think you put it well when you say that it's not any one thing. It's a combination of things. Um, and you know it when you see it. That's that's also very true. Um, and I, I do echo the thing that um, there are some companies that's a little bit special. And only when you move away from them do you realize it oftentimes, especially if you spend quite a lot, a long time with them. Um, I've seen that a couple of times with people who have left um, either by choice or by unfortunate circumstances. Um, and then I kept connection with them and they were like, yeah, so I didn't quite realize what I had when, when I had it, uh, especially people that left by choice because they thought maybe that the grass on the other side is a little greener. Um, and then they realized that the world outside of Mozilla in this case is, is a little different. And sometimes it's not bad different, but it's different. And you have to get used to this new, this new world. I mean, I'll tell you, like when I, when I started a new job, like I have, I have a couple of milestones and some of the milestones are like, Hey, let me try to expense something. Like, let, let me buy a keyboard or a mouse. Let me try to buy a keyboard or a mouse. Mm -hmm. let me, that, that'll tell you about the company, by the way, I've learned. Uh, like, hey, I just need a mouse. Like, to do my work, I need a keyboard and a mouse. <laughs> Can I expense this? Yeah, yeah. Is one thing. But taking time off, like s scheduling PTO is another thing. Like, within the, like, building out a 30, 60, 90 day strategy, a plan, which if, if you're not familiar with that or people who are listening aren't, I recommend Googling 30, 60, 90 day plans. Um, there's a nice book uh, that's been written about this. Uh, but there are, there are good templates that you can pull down all, online and building out like what you think your, your 30, 60, 90, you know, those first 30 days, 90 days or 60 days, 90 days look like mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. thinking about how to structure that towards success. And like the first 30 days is building relationships. I mean, it is, it is going on what I like to call a listening tour and doing a listening tour oh, okay. to understand you were hired to do something, but like really what is it that's in people's minds? Like, what does that really mean? And who do you have to have relationships to be successful in that, that journey? And so building those relationships early, I recommend, I recommend spending some time thinking about 30, 60, 90s, but part of my 30, 60, 90 is doing things like taking PTO or like talk about um, another like, uh, like part of the spectrum in terms of inclusiveness. I'm a parent, I'm a father, I'm a dad. I have a son, I have a kid, I have a child. Uh, that's important to me. And like spending time with my child is important. Yeah. And after school activities, my, there's a, after, after school, there's mountain biking. There's a mountain bike class my kid's in. He's nine. He's been mountain biking since he was two and a half. <laughs> so like, he's been mountain biking for most of his life. Yeah. As part of this after school program. And he's, you know, and he's in a ski program. Like it's winter. He's in a ski program where he skis on the weekends. My ability to take time off to take my kid to these after-school activities is important to me. Yeah, and that's another test of like, hey, is this an inclusive environment? Every Tuesday for the next, I don't know, eight weeks, I'm going to leave work early to pick up my child from school and take them to a mountain bike class. And while my kid's mountain biking, 
I'm going to be mountain biking. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. like I am offline mm-hmm. Tuesdays, um, you know, from 3, 3 p.m. onward for the next eight weeks. How is that received? And so doing some like light tests and you can do that through the interview cycles as well to like test out where the company's at. But sometimes you just have to bully your way into it. And I can tell you like the last two companies, not the place I'm currently at, but the last two companies, I had to bully my way into that and go like, this is literally just what I'm doing. Like, I'm not asking permission. This is what I'm doing. Yeah. 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 Whether you like it or not, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and I had to, I had to go with like this front approach of like, Hey, this is what I'm doing. And I'm not asking permission in my mind. I'm thinking I'm not asking permission. I'm just telling what I'm doing. Cause I'm an adult and this is important to me and they're going to support this. Um, but yeah, you, it's grass isn't always greener on the other side. Yeah. But so um, why do you think we're still struggling with trust so much in just in the workforce in general where, I mean, you know, if, if you, unless your company is completely chaotic, you obviously have certain tasks that needs to be done and that needs to be done by a certain point in time that it, it's irrespective of the company. Um so if you are then employed to do certain types of work, um, you're assigned tasks and those tasks need to be done on a certain point in time. Why do we still find it so hard to just tell people that, okay, cool, here are the things that you need to get done by this point in time. How and when you do this is not really important to us. It's about delivering really good work and delivering it on time is what's important to us. Why do you think we're still finding it so hard to trust people to do that? <laughs> um, I often feel it's a reflection of the person who's, who's judging you. Mm-hmm. It's, it's more of a reflection of who they are or, or the, the culture of the, comp- the, the company itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I laugh because that's, that's something I've internalized. It's like, it's not me. It's, it's you or it's mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been a remote worker since, let's see, when was our son born? 2013, October 2013. Um, so probably like early 2013, I went fully, like fully remote. Yeah. And so I've been remote for about the last 10, 10 years. And I think I did a little sabbatical at Mozilla where I worked remotely for, for a while. So maybe mm-hmm. like 11 years I've been a remote worker. Mm-hmm. And in trust, Trust is essential. Yep. Communi- open communication channels are essential. Essential. I can't speak right now. <laughs> tongue tied. But I think the, the God. I don't even know how to approach this part of this part of the conversation. But like the the whole pandemic, particularly in the United States, really changed the conversation about working remotely. Right, and we're we're seeing that play out in in places like Silicon Valley, where there's a push to try to get people back into the office. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, "No, I like my life working from home. I like all the extra time I have. I don't have to commute, and I get more time with my my kids. I get to go do stuff after work. You know, I can go mow the lawn. Mm-hmm. You know, during my you know like water, you know, coffee break. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so like the, the notion of like how how we relate with one another. And build build trust, build those relationships. I say, let's put trust aside, the word trust. Build relationships. How we build relationships fundamentally ha- has to change. Mm. And um, I can tell you from my own experience, particularly 
in the last couple of years where building relationships remotely, where my, my only interaction with um, at, le at least two of the three companies I've been with has been like through Zoom. Zoom. Like I never physically met the people I worked with yeah, <laughs> ever. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, I didn't get to meet them. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't, didn't get to, sh you know, share a cup of coffee or tea or, you know, have breakfast with, with, with them and, and go for a walk and like see who, who we really are and, and build some of those, those bonds. And so they were very, like, very much like professionally based of like, this is very professionally based of like the, the inputs and outputs of my work are all being judged on. Yeah. And building long-term relationships, which then I think builds in the, the trust component is really important. And so looking at employers who spend spend time when we're talking about like people managers like leadership like they're people leads they they're not doing technical they should not be doing technical work yeah yeah like, that's a red flag to me when I, when I see leads that are like they're supposed to be people managers and they're doing technical work to to I don't know, <laughs> you know for like a few more yeah. like uh, sprint points you know <laughs> yeah jira tickets across the finish line like mm -hmm. come on like you're you're supposed to be supporting the team to make sure that, um the relationships are robust enough mm. to, to solve any problem mm -hmm. um and so building those relationships i i think is the only way and i think that's how I've always led with, with like telling the story of who I am. Like, that's what I do. I come into teams and it may be a bunch of introverts and, and I'm introverted on some level myself. Um, but going in and, and building robust relationships so that we can solve problems or we know who knows like a certain edge, edge scenario part of the system <laughs> um, or, or like, you know, can can come in and give like some expert knowledge, you know, an expert part of the design, and go, hey, that's wrong. And you're like, great, tell me, let's let's get this right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right, is really important. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like I, it, it, I, I'll bring up Mozilla because you're still with Mozilla, and we had some sh shared experiences with Mozilla. But like Mozilla, like one thing I always thought that did really well, and yeah, it was a lot of money. <laughs> to do these uh, whole company, like all company offsites, these all hands yeah, yeah. really important. Like spending, spending the money to get, get people together is really important and, and doing it in a way that's not simply like we're getting a team of people together to push us a problem solution across mm, the line. Mm. Let's just get people together so they can be together. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> and look at this longitudinally of like, these are long-term relationships that we, we've, we have people that we want, just have them stick around for years. We want this to be a part of their their journey, their experience over over years, not just a couple months, not six months, not a year, but years to, to really invest in in building those relationships. Yeah. Um I think when we talk about like why isn't trust exist? I, you could maybe say like, oh, from a command control perspective of like, oh, the visibility, like we have to use we have to use Jira. We have to do stand-ups. Like we have, like the 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 people lead for the team has to know where everything's at at all times. Mm -hmm. And if you're not being visible with your work, like I, I got in trouble with a company like Matt, you're just not visible enough with your work. I'm like, uh, okay, uh, let me see. Like I, I will add some extra 
process, like I'm adding process that's extra work for me, mm. it's paperwork. Yeah. So that you can see what I'm doing because what this tells me is you don't you don't actually trust me. Exactly. Exactly. Right? There's a trust issue here where like if you're not feeling like I'm visible enough, it's like there may be pieces like, yeah, like sometimes there, there's something to take away from that. Like, can I be a more visible in certain areas? Or like how do I let me reword this. A some language I, I picked up over the last couple of years that was interesting to me. And, you know, I always like to go, oh, I, um, you know, like impact. We talk about impact in the industry. Like, what's, you know, you have you know, good impact. Like, you get your end of the year 360 review. And like, oh, what was Matt's impact on the team this year? Yeah. <laughs> right? uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um, I love those types of questions because they're terrible. Um, <laughs> and I had a, a director, an, I'm sorry, a senior VP change it around. He's like, Matt, think of it as, elevate how have you elevated those around you <laughs> like oh that's that's when you when you really like spend some time grokking on that it's it's a different perspective of like okay like the work i do impacts those around me but it also like how am i elevating them is like the, the work i'm doing both it's technical it's both technical it's pro i'm building up processes so like incident management I'm like ooh, this is exciting stuff like hey what happens when you know, uh, you know, U.S. East for Amazon goes down, right? Like, what's the incident response process for that? Like, there's technical, there's technical work and there's process pieces to that. Yeah. Um, but like looking at my work through, like, how do I elevate those around me? Which also means I don't have to have all the answers. I shouldn't have all the answers, and and I shouldn't be doing all the work. Like, how do I break the work apart so I am getting the right people engaged, involved? Um. That, that need to be a part of the conversation that need to be the cooks in the kitchen that, that are coming up with the, the, the right recipe that, that I'm, that I'm listening. All I'm doing is I'm taking notes. Like I'm, I'm getting them to create the recipe and then I'm, I'm sharing the recipe out. Like that's maybe part of like my work, my goal, my story that I'm with, within a company is I'm sharing that recipe out more fully. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so looking at like, when I say like, someone's like, Hey, you're not visible enough, Matt. Like the, it came around about like, hey, how are you actually elevating those people around you? I'm like, oh, I'm going two heads down. I am literally two heads down. Um, and that's not my tire. That's not my job role. It's, not, it's, it's to be completely heads down. It's par partially, you know, part of the time is heads down doing technical work. Um, but I, I need to like lift my head up and elevate those around me. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to phrase it. Yeah, for sure. But, um, that made me think of something. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, so something that I've heard um, somebody tell me once is uh, I constantly have to do this, that, or the other thing for a colleague of mine. And it's kind of not really my job, but I'm the only person who know how to do this. And I was like, have you thought about taking a day or two and writing all this knowledge down in a document and sharing it with your entire team so that the knowledge isn't just with you. And they're like, oh, yeah, but then um, maybe I'm not that valuable anymore. And I'm like, actually, I think it's the opposite. I think you're more valuable because you're sharing out all this knowledge. I think it's that difference between a, that scarcity mindset and then the opposite um, if you have a scarcity mindset, you're going to think like, I, I'm going to complain about the fact that I have to 
constantly help this, these other people. But at the same time, I'm too scared to share what I know because I'm scared I'm, I'm going to make myself um, almost uh, not needed anymore. Um, and they, they were quite surprised when I said that um, to actually encourage them to share the information they have and that that might actually make them more valuable as a team member. And I think that plays into the elevate other people because now you're teaching them how to fish instead of just giving them a fish all the time. Right, or I, I prefer the uh, set a person on fire narrative. Have you heard this one? <laughs> no. You, 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 if someone's cold, you, you can you can light you can light a fire. If someone's cold, you can light a fire for them, and they'll be they'll be warm for for a day. Mm -hmm. Or if you set them on fire, they'll be they'll be warm for like the rest of the life. <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting one. But, <laughs> maybe a. Maybe a bit too, you know, it's not meant to be morose, you know, like, oh, like they're only going to live for a day because you set them on fire. But, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I like that, 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 that storytelling a little bit better. Um, no, I, I, I agree with that. Like the, the I agree with that. And, and but I've also seen where that backfires. And I have to preface this with this is these are with groups that aren't healthy. They're, these are not safe environments. These are environments where people are just trying to survive and keep their jobs, right? And and that's a whole, that's a different conversation. Like, hey, like if that really is true, if that is true, that if you were to do this work, like, well, okay. The first job out of, out of Mozilla, it was very much that where I was brought in as a, like a, the, the most senior engineer on the team. Mm -hmm. I, was, I was brought in on a platform team. And, and then there was some very, like, very specific, like, thing I had, like, I was trying to get across the line, like, from a technology perspective, like a, a solution mm -hmm. that I, I needed to create is, like, the thing I owned. But along with that one thing I owned, like, I'm also like, okay, like, we've got a team of, like, very junior test engineers. You know, like, test engineers are like, hey, the, the number of Selenium tests I write using Selenium shows my value. I'm like, oh, my God, you've written, like a couple thousand selenium tests and do you know how much like what's the actual value of these tests we should be yeah, doing? <laughs> yeah yeah like, we haven't actually talked about a test strategy we're just writing tests because we think that's what we're supposed to be doing right and and i just saw this really i don't want to say moldable like clay but this really this group that was like a sponge they just wanted to learn like they, they wanted to understand the profession and, and move up up, up a couple levels to actually understand what the real questions we, we should be asking were right and and at the end of the day um the the work in terms of like elevating those around me again this is partially when i internalize like why did i get let go and why did the team i was on also just get let go there's conversation about that as well but like why was i not liked by senior leadership was because I didn't walk the right line. It was the first time I've ever had a, someone in a, a job tell me, stay in your lane, Matt, Matt, stay in your lane. I'm like, but you hired me to not stay in my lane. Like, that's what you were getting. Like, yeah, yeah. I bring this wealth of knowledge. I'm not going to go heads down and just create a technical solution. I will do that along with elevating the team. And that's why you hired me. If that's all you wanted. You hired the wrong guy. Right. And, and again, I lasted eight months at the job because it was like, this is not not going to work. This is not going to work, and I, I had I had a foot out the door already because I'm like, this is not working. It's time for me to leave. Um, and so there is a piece where if that is not part of the culture of the company, it it can backfire on you. And I'm a I am a vocal like vibrant 
engaged person. And so maybe I I failed more spectacularly than some (laughs) at that. Um, But it's a word of caution, I should say, that that there's a whole meta conversation to have around that topic. If somebody's in a position where it's like, actually, if you do that, you're going to get singled out. Like you're going to be the tallest tuft of grass that gets cut off, (laughs) which can happen. Um, On the inverse, like the, the group I'm currently with, I should say, is very much about doing just that. Like I, I thought I'd seen good documentation when I worked at Mozilla. Uh, uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> I am with a group that like, if you have to do, if you have to do, if it has to be done more than once, we create a document. Mm. And if anything, like I've learned, like there's some new language I've learned, like the Google, um, the Google gutter. Have you heard this term? No, gutter. no. So like, if you're like collaborating in a Google doc, right. And like someone, people are adding comments in the gutter of the document. Uh, okay. Like, it's a real thing when you get like 50 comments and you're like, oh my God, either I have to integrate these comments or I have to respond to the comment or I have to delete. Like, how do I delete the comments because they're not relevant, but I also don't want to hurt someone's feelings or maybe they are kind of relevant because they add some flavor, but I'm not going to add that to the document itself. So I'm just going to leave the comment. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm with a group that, that is very much um, moving into the, the next phase, I should say, of their existence. And that's a phase that's moving beyond scarcity. And so um, this is language that's new for me in terms of something I use on a daily basis is when you work with it, when you're in a team that is scarcity is what exists, like you're doing everything you can to just survive. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and it may be like you're actually thriving, like the team's doing well, like the, cult- the culture is healthy. But let's just say like you're not able to staff up the team properly and like you're trying to do a bunch of things at once. Like start this happens at startups, right? Like you're just doing a whole lot of stuff. Yep. Yep. And realistically, like to make it sustainable in the long run, like you need more people. But the 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 financials not, might not be there yet, or like you're trying to make the case that that needs to like right. There's a lot of a lot of um a lot of threads to that conversation. But I'm with a team that's moving out of scarcity. And the, the scarcity piece is that they now have a fully staffed team. Yeah. <laughs> like we've we've been able to hire. I'm part of I'm part of that growth curve. Mm-hmm. Like I was hired as part of this growth curve mm-hmm. that's the team's moving out of scarcity. Where like there were I want to say like three core people on the team that were doing everything. And uh, what are we at now? Is myself I mean, like I'm gonna get this wrong. I think we've hired like five people. <laughs> it was a team of three. And we've hired like five more people and I'm part of that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we're moving out of scarcity, but we got to download the knowledge. We got to download the knowledge that's in these people's minds, that like, these people have done an incredible amount of work. Like the, And I'm working, so we're working in GCP and Kubernetes, and we're working at a scale where we break GKE. Like we bring down Google because of the scale that we're using their system. Wow, okay. Um, like we spin up... Um, up up to 90, 90 to 120,000 worker instances we will spin up to do, to do the process of jobs wow. <laughs> and then we spin them down like yeah yeah it's insane what we do and, and so there's a lot of there's a lot of like the war stories a lot of like domain knowledge that's co- that's come from that work that we have to get out of these people's minds and it's all it's all through documentation yeah documentation like if anything like i've learned like I'll ask a question in, in, in a Slack channel and it's changed to like, hey, I'm trying to do X. Can you point me to the documentation, right? 
instead of like saying, hey, how do I do this? I'm like, hey, I'm trying to do this. Where's the documentation? Because I can't, we have so much documentation at this point. It's sometimes hard to navigate the documentation. Um, we've actually, we've spun up a team that is going to work on solving part of that problem of like making the documentation um, discoverable or centralized yeah. and, and searchable and approachable and findable, mm -hmm. discoverable. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But that's a good problem to have. Yep. Right? Like, holy crap. Like, <laughs> I've not seen documentation like this anywhere. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, that's a great learning experience. You know, do, do you need to do a, do you need to up, 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 upgrade, upgrade Kubernetes? Do you need to do upgrade Kubernetes to, you know, one, one dot 26? Not a problem. Follow this document because we've been using this for the last, you know, X, you know, 10 upgrades or whatever, six upgrades. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's great when you have that. It, it just everything flows so much, so much better. Instead of trying to remember, well, how did I do this last time? Yeah, I know for sure. So if now I'll add on to yeah. a bit too, though, about creating docu documentation. Let me just add this one thought. Yeah, I'll, sure. I like of this, this this thought. So, so it's not just like you're getting information out of yourself and you're elevating those around you. You're creating a space for other people to come in and add to a document and, and making it that much better. It's not just that you own the knowledge. It's that you've now put it out there and people will improve upon it or say, Hey, have you thought about doing it? You know, this one little area, have you thought about doing it this way? Cause this is how I do it. And you're like, Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Now I know how to do it your way. Like that's better than my way. Right. And so it, 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 it builds, I think it builds trust. It does take, mean taking a chance right you're putting yourself out there and going i could be wrong yeah <laughs> people are going to judge me on my, my written word right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but you are building trust you're building community you're setting a standard of like here's what collaboration looks like mm -hmm. and what i expect like i i want to be in an environment where people collaborate and so i'm going to take a risk personally yeah i, yeah. I take it this approach i will take the risk to look and it might look like a fool because I want other people to know that it's okay to look like a fool. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that, that leads into something that I uh, discovered. And I mean, this is relevant to me as well. Um, so I'm trying to think which one I should go for first. Let's go for the writing one first. So uh, on your blog, you mentioned that you're getting back into writing. And I think this is like kind of what you just mentioned also, like when you put yourself out there, in a written word, you're taking a chance of being wrong, like, uh, or you're taking a chance of somebody saying, well, you know, that's not incorrect, but you could do it this way. And it's even better. And I think it's a good thing, actually. Uh, like Pierre Bengtson, I think you, you know him as well. Um, like he said that is, he actually likes when that happens. He has a very, uh, he has a very healthy approach to these kinds of things. I learned a lot from him in that regard. Um, so he's always like, I'm writing these things down as notes for myself. And if somebody comes and makes a comment about how it could be done better, then that's great. Because if I didn't write this, this person wouldn't have written the comment and therefore I wouldn't have learned this new thing. That's an incredibly healthy approach to this, but it's, it's not in all of us to be able to take it like that. Um, most of us feel the imposter syndrome hit pretty hard when, you, when you've written this piece and you're just about to hit publish and you're like, mm, I wonder, I think I should take another day and just do a little bit more research. Um, so you kind of mentioned that 
that whole entropy, as you called it, that you feel um, and where you had to overcome that to really get back into blogging and writing. So for especially people new to the tech world, new to coding and that kind of stuff, I think it's it's critically important to write about what you learn and write about what you don't know and what you're trying to understand and talk through your thought process. But I can also understand that it's very scary um, to put yourself out there. So what advice do you have for people new to tech world that, you know, can give them some encouragement to actually put their fingers on the keyboard and hit the publish button at the end? Yeah, I like where Peter's coming from. Um, uh, there's, there's two sides to this. So uh, I'll say like how to get started, but I'm also going to give people like yourself, Skalk, some homework. <laughs> Good. I like this um, because you and I have been, even you and I have been there, and um, so I think it's easier for me to go back and sh share things from my own journey to 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 add a human element to this. My background's in psychology, um, and I should say lightly psychology, where um, I um, graduated from high school barely. <laughs> Um, and I took two years off and I, uh, did a hodgepodge of some couch surfing. So sleeping on friends' couches, um, living in my vehicle. I had a 1969 VW campmobile at one point. I lived in my car, um, and I traveled the United States. I did Canada, um, and a little bit of Mexico a few times. Um, and, and then decided to go to school after two years of that, or again, it's a theme in my life. Like intellectually, I started getting bored. <laughs> like I need something. Um, and I wandered into school. I didn't know where to begin. I had spent some time as a, uh, a wilderness ranger working for the United States Forest Service, lead, leading, I had, a, I had a team of 16 people. I led a trail crew of 16 people with axes and shovels. And we, we built water bars and we had hand saws. We cut trees off trails that had fallen, we had chainsaws. Um, and I thought, maybe I want to be a forester. I want to like um, take care of our natural resources. I, I did not know what I wanted. And so I went into school. And I did a little bit of everything. Um, I was even pre-med for a while and spent some time down in Central America working in health clinics as part of my formal studies oh. um, until I kind of came upon, I want to, I want to work with people. I want to help people, which was kind of what led me towards the uh, medicine component. Um, and then I realized I wanted to work with people from a mental, I don't say mental health, I say mental health, but like a, a, a perspective of, of liking, like having a successful life, like defining what success means for them for life. I wanted to work with, with people on that conversation, but I didn't know who I didn't know. Like psychology is a big spot. You think about like computer science, like you, do you want to like, uh, design, you know, bios you know, the, the BIOS for, for chips and like, you can do a lot of things in software, right? You, you pick an end of the spectrum and like you, you can probably, if you work at it, get into it somehow over time. Um, or you'd be a generalist like me where like, I don't know what I do, but I do, I do something good and people are excited to have me do that kind of work. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. But I got into psychology and I ended up working at a homeless shelter because I'm like, I don't know which population of people I want to work with first. Like, where do you begin? And so I'm like, I will work at a homeless shelter with people who are homeless. And I got introduced to a spectrum of people from 
like newborn infants and single mothers to families that had kids to a person had a falling out and a bad divorce and the, their partner took everything and so they didn't have anywhere to go. So they ended up at the shelter to veterans from foreign wars that were suffering from PTSD and drug addiction, right? And like the whole spectrum, it was amazing. Um, and I realized I wanted to work with kids after that. I'm like, I think, I think, as I realized, mm -hmm. it was more like I, I was like, I think I want to work with kids because I was the statistician for the shelter. And I, I could see the statistics of what recidivism looked like. And it wasn't good. 80% mm -hmm. of people who were, uh, that go to a, like a shelter in the United States, typically about 80% never get out of homelessness. <laughs> like they, they get some services and they're not great here, by the way. Yeah. Uh, they're really time boxed and really poorly done mm. and administrated, right? Mm -hmm. But it's hard to get out of homelessness. And so I wanted to go younger. So I went and worked at a um, youth detention center. I worked in a prison. I worked in a prison with children. Wow. Right. Kid, children who were under the age of like 16. I worked, I worked in a prison. Mm. And because um, I thought I actually want to work with people younger so that they can like build skills. Like there's gen this notion of generational poverty where mm. if, if you come from a generation, multiple generations of impoverishment, it's really hard. It's really hard to break out of it. And part of it's just that the like tools that the, the tools that we build and carry with us inside of ourselves over time, mm. we have to like, we have to hone those skills, the, those stories. We have to do things that are difficult. We have to, we have to work through them and we have to do it in a, a space that's not survival. If you're just trying to survive each day, yeah, it's yeah. hard to do anything other than just survive yeah. through the day to get to the next day. Mm -hmm. um, and so I wanted to work with kids. I'm like, maybe I can help get some, some tools into this young generation so they can maybe begin to break right that generational poverty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and about that time in the U S we had a, a little bit of a, re a recession at that time and I lost my job. <laughs> and so I was building log homes. Um, I was doing odd jobs. I was doing temporary temp work. Um, and I ended up doing temp work at an engineering firm as a data analyst because I could do statistics, psychology, statistics. And they gave me a book on Pearl. <laughs> and they said, hey, we have all this GPS data. We've had people out with metal detectors, mm -hmm. GPS units, trying to find where our pipeline, there's an oil oil and gas company, where our pipe is in the ground. Oh, wow. We need okay. someone to go in and like scrub the data. We need, we need the, the, the data cleaned. It's dirty data. We need to clean it. And we'd like you to do it in Pearl. <laughs> we think you're smart. You'll figure it out. Here's a book. And that was my introduction into software. Um, I, I wrote a really bad Perl script, really spaghetti code, but it worked. It worked. It worked. It worked. It worked. It was magic. It worked. It worked. Right. And I was I was surprised by it. And it kind of like shore up, shorten up the story. I became curious. I was trying to get into graduate school, but I was waiting. I was waiting for, for the, the natural cycle. To, to move through the calendar that I could apply for graduate programs. And I decided to go, hey, what's the software thing? Like, I know I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to go take a class. And so I went, went back to school. I took, a, I took one class while working full time. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, this is cool. It was like Java. Java it was like, you know, like 110, Java 110 intro to software class. And I'm like, oh, this is really neat. Um, and that pulled, ended up pulling me back into school. And so I dropped my plans to go to graduate school um, to work with troubled youth um, to pursue this thing that sounded interesting and, and it was neat. Um, 
Now, how does this relate to doing things that are uncomfortable? Um, my, so my heritage, my background, my mother's side of the family is Catholic, like very Catholic. And my father's side of the family is very Jewish. Mm, okay. Um, we joke in my family that I'm a cashew. I'm a cashew, <laughs> like Catholic <laughs> Jew cashew. Like, the, the, like, like, you know, you know, like the, the nut, like a cashew nut. Uh-huh, I'm uh-huh. a cashew. And my Jewish grandmother, my Jewish grandmother shared something with me and it stuck with me to this day. And so when I struggle and I've struck like the last three years have been just terrifying, mm-hmm. by the way, mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. I struggle, I go back to something my, my grandmother said to me while she was still alive. And she said, Hey, when I, she was uneducated, she'd never finished high school. This is back in the, the time when women were supposed to just, you know, raise, raise the, fa- you know, the family and take care of the household Yep. in the, in the U S and she she said to me she's like when I die I want it to say on my grave I want you to remember me as uh, I want you to remember me for my failures remember me for my failures I'm like what and that guy was like twelve or thirteen I'm like what is this nonsense like remember you for your failures like that's weird I don't understand um, she said yeah like on my tombstone I have a tombstone and I'm buried in the ground I want to read uh, on my tombstone I want to say a woman who tried. I'm like, okay, I, I don't, I, I don't get it. <laughs> and her explanation was, her explanation was actually pretty profound. And it was that she said, I don't have control over my successes in life. I'm not, I'm not in control of that part of my life. Like I can't control if I'm successful. That's often up to other people. Mm. I can control how many times I try. And so when I fail, when I fail, it shows that I tried. And so I want you to remember me for my failures because it shows that I, I tried and I didn't, I didn't give up. I didn't quit. I didn't stop. I kept trying. And I mean, that feels very simplistic when I say that now to you. Uh, that's this, beautiful. That's call, but it still sticks with me of like, I, I want to, I want to fail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I failure is always an option. I want to be able to fail because I learn. I learned through my failures and it's not that like, I screwed up. It's not like, you know, like, yeah, maybe if I'm like working on like the next, you know, rocket ship or like software for someone's heart implant, mm-hmm. let's not fail <laughs> yeah. in, in like, spectacularly. Right. Yeah. But like, let's talk about it. <laughs> right. But it means, I'm, but it gives you permission to try that I'm allowed to try. And as, as I've gotten older, I've found that, the, the right people that, that congregate around me, that are my friends, that, that I have relationships with, that are my supporters, that are my mentors, that are my coaches, whether it's like long-term or they're just fleeting. They come through my life and then they move on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but they're there for like a, a moment when I maybe needed them the most. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because I tried and I showed who I am. Mm-hmm. And the people who are like the haters, the, the people who are the naysayers, or are going to dig in it again it's more of a reflection of who they are but it's also it lets me know who they are like when you show me who you are i believe you yeah yeah and and it lets me like cast off a group of people that are like i don't i don't need you in my life because you're net you, you have you're negative you have negative energy you're not adding to my life i don't know how to add to your life either mm. i'm not adding to your life we're clearly not helping each other mm. um and so getting started is hard that entropy and it, it comes and goes, and I'll say that it's not 
easy for all of us. It's not natural for me. I'm not someone who writes. I don't keep a diary or a personal journal. I've tried. Yeah. I have like a whole graveyard of like <laughs> these really beautiful journals that I've purchased to, to fill out. <laughs> and then they remain empty, you know. Yeah, yeah. But um, getting started and sharing your journey will pull the right people to you. Mm. And it, it helps you tell your story. And so like this is part of getting a job in tech as well is that it is your story. You get to tell your story. Yeah. You get to tell your story. And you're not being dishonest. Like you can leave things out or you can you can lessen the, the value or impact of something if you're like, hey, this doesn't actually add anything to who I am or my story. Mm. And so I don't need to I don't need people to overthink this piece of like we've all screwed up. We've yeah. Some of us have been fired multiple times. Like I have been, I've been, so I've been told I'm a failure I'm a, and I'm a terrible person mm-hmm. and, I'm, you know, more than once. And I don't need to share that story. Like when I'm doing job interviews, yeah. per se. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can talk about failure mm-hmm. um, in, in smaller terms, but like when you, when you begin to post, it pulls people towards you. It helps you get the right language of like, here's what I'm working on. It pulls people to you, which again leads, actually leads me to the second bit of, piece this homework mm-hmm. is that i believe it's up to people like you and i skulk and, and others in the industry when we have the capacity when we have the capacity to to engage with folks who are just getting started to to help them along their journey to, to maybe be an ear whether it's it's through social media to add on to their posts to elevate their posts to respond to their posts um maybe even do a zoom call right yeah guilty of doing that more than once when i could tell someone someone was at wit's end mm-hmm. and was ready to give up mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. say hey you don't know me but would you like to do a call yeah let's have a conversation yeah to help people along the journey because it's it's not it's not necessarily um time isn't straight like an arrow mm-hmm. and i think that can't get lost in um trying to one break into tech, but also evolve over time into the jobs that we want. Like the, the I say jobs, but like the experiences. I'm all about experiences. Mm-hmm. The experiences we want to get ourselves into. It's not a straight. It's not a straight arrow. It's not a straight path. And sometimes it's a bit winding uh, to, to find our voice within that and what we actually want to do, what we don't want. Mm-hmm. So yeah, getting started is important. It shows. I mean, I like what. I've seen you do externally. Like I don't understand it and maybe we'll have time for that after the call mm-hmm. um, but with this community that, that is spawned around the work that you're doing that I'm just like absolutely intrigued by. <laughs> um, but finding communities is really important. And when, and when you share yourself openly, mm-hmm. when it's uncomfortable, mm-hmm. you begin to find those communities. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think, that, I think to me, like, yeah, like you bring people in and they can add to, hey, have you thought about doing it this way? But it is also, it's finding your community mm. and sharing your work helps you find community and, and a community. And I hesitate to say the word network, you know, creates a network for you, mm. but your community is what will help pull pull you through things over the years, but also evolve with you. Yeah. Yeah. We don't stay stagnant or the same. I think, you know, it's easy to get into a narrative like this is who I am. Like, well, that's who I was 10 years ago. <laughs> I'm a different person. Yeah. Yeah. Some, yeah. You know, some degree. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Yeah. That's lovely. So, um, 
you like you said you've you're a professional interviewer and i know one of the things that um uh folks either either changing careers or young folks getting into tech i know one of the things they're sometimes often scared of is the interview process partly because oftentimes it is painted as um like pulling teeth it's it's the one thing that you'd have to do but you don't want to do so if if one of these folks came up to you and said matt i i'm going to go in for my first interview any any words of wisdom that you can help to get me just not just pass out before i even open the door words of advice going into the interview i mean i'd say there's stuff to do ahead of time um, yeah, that's important that's too. Where the, a lot of the stress begins to build up, mm-hmm. right? Is before even walking in. I think the thing that when you're walking into an interview, let's just say like you have an interview to, later today, and you're gonna go, okay, I'm as prepared as I'm gonna get to be. Like I'm, I'm going to be. Like I, I can't prepare anymore without stressing myself out. Um, remember that the the people that you're talking to are human. Um. If, if you're getting a signal that it's just a business transaction and you're having trouble getting a read, that's that's a, b- a bit of a red flag. But remember, you're walking in and you're having a conversation. And in the more practice, again, this is a thing to practice. And I, I have ideas on how to practice. Some of them may not be like super ethical, but like I have different thoughts on like how to practice doing interviews. But no, like interviews are broken up into into, into schedules typically for different segments. Not always, by the way. They're not always very organized. <laughs> and so to begin with, like understand what you're walking into, the recruiter, the, the, the hiring manager, whoever is your point of contact ahead of time. Ask, like, what's, what's my interview like, uh, schedule? What's, what's, what's the agenda? Who am I talking to and about what? Um, spend a little bit of time like understanding who you're speaking with. Like if they can't share with you, like, oh, we can't tell you who you're interviewing with or like, well, we don't know yet. You'll find out when you show up, like red flag, total red flag, right? But it's do some research on who, who you're interviewing with. Like, who are they? Like do a simple Google a duck, 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 go search, right? Let's advertise duck, duck, go. Like do a duck, duck, go search, check out their LinkedIn profile. Oftentimes people leave their Facebook profiles open. Like, have they done anything and get... GitHub, that's online, GitLab. Like, can you, can you find work that they've done? Um, understand a bit of like their personal journey so you, you can try to find a connection. And that helps me, when I find a connection personally, it helps me calm down a little bit when I'm like, I kind of understand, I think who this person is, like a little bit. This mental model, it's not right. It's not correct, right? But I can figure that out during the conversation. Um, show up with curiosity. Like if there's a fear, like, yes, like when I was post Mozilla, I'm like, I just need a job. Like, I need a job. Like, this, this is, I, you know, like, there's mass layoffs, tens of thousands of people in tech are losing their jobs. And I'm part of that, right? Like, I need a job, right? And trying to, on one hand, like, divorce myself of that thought a little bit when I'm showing up in, on an interview so I can just be natural who I am is important. Um, you know, things like, Technical interviews, like when you get into the things like I struggle with that I get scared about, like a technical interview. So I'm like, oh my God, technical interview. I hate those. Um, I say hate those and I'll quantify that in a minute, right? I hate those. Those drive, those scare me. Or uh, like systems design. Oh my God, don't even get me started about systems design. I'm not a 
DevOps person, right? So like, let's talk about like designing a system that works at scale. Yeah, good luck, <laughs> right? Um, do the time beforehand working with the recruiter, your point of contact, the, the hiring manager to understand the format of the interview, like how to prepare yourself. You know, I know like the company I'm with, it's pretty, I don't want to say strict, but it's it's very well thought out. Our interview schedule is very well thought out and it's broken up into what people will really, like myself, would be interviewing someone on. So like I'm part of the system, system design for interviews. Like I do the systems design interview and it's it's very time boxed. It's like a 45, it's 45 minutes um, to do a systems design with somebody. And you have to think about time management for something like that. Like the person doing the interviews, like practice that, like practice doing a system design and like time box yourself. Like, you know, um, ask the interviewer, like, Hey, can, do I get the, can I get, do I get the question ahead of time? You know, I know like we give the questions out ahead of time so you can spend time at home thinking through this problem that we're going to, that you're, it's the same. We're not changing the problem. We meet with you. We restate the problem and we answer any questions you might have about it. Right. But like, ask if you get that ahead of time. I like for technical interviews, I struggle with like whiteboarding or like live, yeah. inter, you know, coding challenges or um, uh, what's the other one? Um, like leap code style, like, Hey, you know, go solve this problem. And there's a timer that's clicking down. Oh, wow. Like, yeah. I remember like one interview I had, it was like that. I spent, I, I spent the time I hacked the timer. I'm like, how does the timer work? Like they're counting down my time to like actually solve this problem. And so I went and I broke the timer. I'm like, Oh, cool. I broke the timer, <laughs> but I didn't solve the actual problem they wanted me to solve. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Or I've had other reviews where like, Hey, it's a take home. And I personally, I prefer take home. I'm of the mind. I enjoy take home because I can like slow roll, do it at my own pace. There's no time limit. I can explore a, a, a problem and a solution, you know, and, and get it in the presentable way that I feel comfortable share, sharing. And there's no time limit, you know, and I, I have, you know, I have ADD and like, like my mind wanders. Like I have a finite amount of focus that I can use. And once that focus is used up, like I'm all over the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I prefer take home yeah. personally, mm -hmm. right? But you may not, right? And we, and so like understanding the structure of like what people are trying to get out of, out of you during an interview is really important. And that's both for like like very senior like staff level positions, down to just getting your first your first job. Like it's if you're a junior engineer, like trust. I say trust, right? Trust that the team that's interviewing you, they understand leveling, and they'll be like, "This is for an entry level position," and there's a lot you're not going to know, and that's okay. But we want to find out. We want to find out that boundary of like where does your understanding stop, right? in terms of solving our problem, yeah. but also along with that, getting a signal like me as an interviewer wants to get a signal of like, how are you able to ask questions or like, do you know that you're stuck or like, yeah, you're stuck, but like, are you willing to like, can we collaborate on this? And so like for me during an interview, like letting go of some of the stress is like, I'm also like, if I were to get into like the, the perfect team, I want to work with, like, these are my potential colleagues. Right? Yeah, You're interviewing with exactly. people who might be your colleagues. Yeah. I want to know if I can collaborate with, with them, 
right? And so like, so like I'm interviewing them and like, I get really stuck. I'm like, I'm starting to ask questions. Like help me solve this problem because I don't get it. It does not make sense to me. Mm -hmm. Or this algorithm, like I don't know how to do this sorting algorithm. Like I can't spout out sorting algorithms. Can we solve this together? Right. And I've, I've, had some interviews that went really poorly because the person's like, well, I guess we have nothing to talk about. <laughs> you know, I'm like, well, okay, great. Right. Or I've had people go, Hey, well, I'm not going to give you the answer. I'm going to feed you just enough. Like maybe you can figure out the answer yourself. And like, those have been the ones where I'm like, this was such a great interview. Like I, I clearly in my mind, I'm like, I bombed the interview, but like, I got something out of it. I, I got the solution. And I know, I know a lot about the person interviewing me and they know a lot about me. Yeah. That's great. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. That seems very healthy. That seems like a very healthy approach to it. And unfortunately, the truth of the matter is that it won't always be the case. It'll be sometimes it'll be the case, like you said, where the person is like, well, I guess that's the end of the interview then. Um, and I think you'll, you'll just have to have the community to support you when that happens to you. If you went into the interview and you did get stuck and you did ask a question and the interview was cut short because they are not a, they don't have this healthy approach to it that you can go back to your community and say dang it it didn't work out and they could be there for you and say that's okay why did you learn from this that you can apply to the next thing is there red flags you can watch out for um when you get the opportunity again so that you you know lessen your chances of of this being a repeat process so i think that's great advice um so a question I have for you is you kind of um, mentioned it, but you didn't quite dig into it. So what does success look like for you? In what realm? I would say life. <laughs> like, you know, um, your career um, is part of it, right? Yeah. It's like, it's, like um, the, it's like what you said, like building a healthy, inclusive environment. It's not just any one thing. It's a combination of things. So I think... For some people, success is all about career. Like, but for you, like, what does success look like for you? Never had anyone ask me that question outside of the professional piece. Um, <laughs> success for me, um, <laughs> boy, and it's a, it's evolved over the years, of course. Uh, particularly having uh, a child who's I'm responsible for. Um, I think realistically it's success to me looks like someone who tr tries to do the right thing. I may not know what the right thing is, but tries to do the right thing. Some may fail, may, may make mistakes that I can't fix, but I'll try. Um, you know, you know, people. Sometimes it's easy to say, "Oh, I'm just looking for happiness or your contentness." Um, my one, one of my um, one of the uh, what do you call them? Like uh, people leads that I've, I've worked with over the last couple of years said to me, like professionally, he's like, "My goal for you, Matt, is that you're. I think I'm going to get this wrong, but he's like, I want you to be like 20% terrified, like all the time." Because you don't know, right? Because I do, I do things I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Like, clearly, I mean, come on. Like I, I don't know what I'm doing most of the time. Like I don't even know the right questions to ask to get to the answers. Like so, a lot of a lot of the time I spend is figuring out like what are the right questions to ask because then I can ask the right question and then I can write mm -hmm, and then I can mm -hmm. it's kind of snowballs. Yeah. But so that's like terrified. Like I spend about you say I want you to mm -hmm. be about 20, 20 to thirty percent terrified, 
you know, an 80%, you know, feel like you solidly know what you're doing. And I'm like, that's, that's an interesting perspective. Yeah, I haven't yeah. absor- fully absorbed that. Now I think like with life, um, Mm. It's remaining, it's remaining curious. It's remaining, not losing empathy. Um, you know, I know sh- showing empathy and, and caring for others. Some people view that as a weakness you know, or naive. Let me just say like, naive. let's put a, the word on that. Like naive, like, oh, he's naive. He trusts people, right? Like you trust people. You know, I inherently trust people. I think people are inherently usually good. I have learned that when someone again shows you who they are, believe them. They they show you, who, you know, just believe them when they, they tell you who they are through their actions, right? And, and don't put yourself up for further harm. But I want to continue to move through the world in a place where I I I, I care about the, those around me that I I I share that with as as a value with with my my son, with my kid. Um, that there's an innate curiosity that mm-hmm. there's a little bit of like boundless possibility in, in terms of new experiences. Like I'll give you an example. Like I'm, I'll be 45 next month and um, uh, I was a climbing bum. I used to rock climb and ice climb and do mountaineering. I, I, I've climbed peaks like Denali and Aconcagua um, I, I've done I've done a lot in the mountaineering area, mm-hmm. and I was I was like a dirt bag broke climber living out of his car, and I spent all my money on <laughs> climbing gear mm-hmm. and get and gas petrol for the car so I could get to the next adventure. Right, like that was where I was focused. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, uh, you know, I now I now have a little bit of money. I work in tech. And a couple of years ago, I'm like, I've always wanted mm-hmm. to learn how to ski. I wanted to learn how to ski. I'm like, I'm old. <laughs> I'm not, you know, that prodigy that, you know, like learn how to ski before they could walk. Mm-hmm. When I live in a town where like, I, those are my friends. They're like, oh, I skied before I could walk. I'm like, that's great. You know, <laughs> I, I'd already had my, you know, first knee surgery, first knee surgery before I learned how to ski. Wow. <laughs> right. But a few years ago, I decided I wanted to learn how to ski. And so I did. And I had someone make a comment like, oh, when is, and they meant this kind of in a weird kind of energy kind of way, vibe kind of way of like, oh, when's Matt going to slow down? Like, why is he learning how to ski? Like, he's old. He should slow down. <laughs> right? It's like, uh, well, no, that's something I wanted to learn how to do. I've mm-hmm. always wanted to learn how to ski and do that, like, and, and have those experiences. Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. continue to be curious and explore, you know, w- within like reasonable, responsible ways yeah, yeah. is important to me. Sharing knowledge mm-hmm. um, and, and empathy is is important to me. I think that that's what I mean. I feel I feel successful. <laughs> I am a success right now. Yeah, um, yeah, it's good. You know, I, I've I've done, I've done career I've done career changes. I don't know if I'll be in tech now, rest of my life mm-hmm. because maybe something else is gonna is gonna feed me. Yeah, yeah. And I want to go do that. Yeah, for sure. But, yeah, that's great. So, uh. Kind of in closing, maybe I'll have something afterwards. I don't know. But um, is there a story behind the name Secret Mustache, which is your website's address, secretmustache.com? <laughs> yeah, actually. <laughs> Care to share? How, how much? You want, the, you, want, you want the full story? <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not that exciting. Um, but, but it talks about community a little bit. 
Um, oh boy. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get there. So, um, uh, probably around tw- 2012, I was living in the Bay Area with my partner. This is pre pre child. Mm-hmm. 2011, 2012, probably. Mm-hmm. And I, I asked my manager at the time, I'm like, hey, I'd like to go remote. Can I go be remote for a few months? Mm-hmm. And he smiled. He's like, I've known that since you started. Like, I was just waiting for you to ask me that. <laughs> and he's like, and the answer, of course, is yes. <laughs> I'm like, great. Why didn't you tell me I could go? But anyways, right. And so I moved to uh, a mountain town called Crested Butte, Colorado. Mm-hmm. You can look it up on the map. It's an interesting town. It's um, in the winter, it gets snowed in to the point where there's only one entry point into the valley it's in. Oh. Um, it's it's really difficult to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's just removed from like large highways and interstates, and they don't have an airport. Like it's it's a quintessential Colorado mountain town. Okay. There's mountain biking and hiking uh, in the summer and skiing and those types of pursuits in the winter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so I went to Crested Butte and um, I was remotely working from a bookstore and um, a coffee shop bookstore. Yeah. And the owner came over to me and said, Hey, you can't sit there. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? I can't sit here. <laughs> but, and our, one of the, the owners are Arvin and Danica. So Arvin came up to me and said, you can't sit there. I'm like, why? He's like, that's Bruce's seat. I'm like, who's Bruce? <laughs> and he points up on the wall. He's like, you see that book? Bruce wrote that book. And I and it's a, I can't remember the title, but it's it's a book on learning. It's a book on Java programming. It's like how to pro, learn to program using Java. Okay. It ends up being, that's the book I learned how to code off of. Like that was my first coding book. And this guy named Bruce Eckel, mm-hmm. got a Wikipedia mm-hmm. page, mm-hmm. <laughs> helped write the CISO standard. Bruce Eckel lives in, lives in Crested Butte. And so Arvin's like, you can't sit there. Bruce is going to be in any minute now. That's where he sits. I'll introduce you. Um, I got to introduce the Bruce. And the, the long and short of it is that Bruce is this really interesting, eclectic individual, a bit of a thought leader, somebody who deeply believes and engenders the, 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 the motion of like, Creating, creating a sustaining community mm-hmm. um, and, um, around 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 not just software like software is, is a part of mm-hmm. it but it's not the only thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he has he has a it's it's called the winter tech winter tech forum WTF <laughs> so you can Google winter tech forum but he hosts a he hosts a conference called the WTF. <laughs> Um, I think it's coming up in March. I think I just saw the, da- the dates come by for this year. And it's just a group of people that get together. It's an unconference. We di- when we get there, we come up with the topics oh, wow. that we're going to yeah. discuss. Yeah. Um, and it's free-flowing. And I'm getting to the answer in a minute, I promise. Yeah, no, go for it. And so I've been introduced to this like really interesting global community of really amazing engineers mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> through Bruce in this, this, uh, this conference that he's, he's been, he hosts. Mm-hmm. And so I was at the conference and there's a restaurant in Crested Butte called the uh, stash, the secret stash. 
Now, this is an old mining town, you know, mining for like precious metals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so it's very, you know, there's my, a little bit of a mining theme to the town. And there's a place called the Secret Stash, like this, you know, stash of gold. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we're sitting there, I'm sitting with a bunch of other engineers, and we're just talking about life as one does. And we're talking about like facial hair. I'm not sure why. <laughs> we're talking about facial hair and like how beautiful, how beautiful facial hair can be. <laughs> and I, I admitted something to this group of strangers that that I don't, I don't recommend admitting to a group of strangers is that I can't grow facial hair. I mean, if you're looking on the, the camera, does it look like I have eyebrows? <laughs> well, they're blonde. You can't see my eyebrows. They don't look like I have eyebrows. I can't grow a mustache or a beard. I grow a neck gator. It's like the unibrow of beards. It's a neck gator. <laughs> it's the only thing I can grow. And it's, scrag- it's scraggly. It's painful. I, I zip up my winter coat and it gets stuck in the coat. It, like It's a terrible, it's the worst kind of beard you can have. <laughs> yeah. And so we're talking about like about facial hair. And I admitted to them, I'm like, I'm having a little bit of beard envy right mm-hmm, now. Like mm-hmm. secretly, I'm having some beard envy. Mm-hmm. And so we're, ha- we're having dinner, eating pizza. And I thought, I wonder if like secret mustache is available as a domain. And I bought it <laughs> on my phone at the dinner table. That's awesome. I'm glad I asked. It's not. A, it's, this is. I. I. I should have. I, I should have warned you. I, I should have warned you. It's not like a profound thing. Like, oh, it's very profound. No, it's you know, perfect. Twizzling, you know, tweaking your mustache with like, with with beard wax or whatever. <laughs> yeah. you know, to make it look magical. It's nuts because I can't grow one. Yeah. And I, I have. I have secret mustache envy. <laughs> so secretmustache.com is because I have envy. That's lovely. I'm glad I asked that question. Oh, Matt, this has been like. Everything I hoped for and a lot more. I've learned more things about you than I didn't even have an idea about all the things you've done in your life. Fascinating, absolutely fascinating to have this conversation. Thanks so much. I'm a different person after these these last three years. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing. Um, I can't wait to share this with the community and everybody out there that's willing to listen i think it's this is going to be a beautiful one thanks so much um have a lovely rest of your day and um, i'll speak to you somewhere we'll catch up for sure thank you for listening to this episode of the mycelium network podcast if you're not already please subscribe store and leave a review for us in your podcatcher of choice this helps others find us and helps us make a better podcast for you our listeners you can also find and follow us on Twitter at Network Mycelium and join the community on Discord. All the links are available in the show notes.